This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On episode 41 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, it's Adam and Scott back and we're talking everything West Ham, including reviewing the Sheffield United draw, the upcoming Newcastle match, as well as answering some Hammers Polls questions. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. It's episode 41. And it's the OG crew. It's Scott and myself. Scott, how are you doing on this fine afternoon for me? But I think it's an early morning for you in Australia, right? Yeah, early morning, and uh, it's already at uh, 24 degrees. I don't know what that is in uh, American temperatures, but I am uh, looking forward to a nice day here. Well, thank the Lord that I don't use American temperatures either, because it's I think it's seven degrees Celsius here and raining. So uh, we've got the we've got the English winter happening over here right now. Uh, It's been pouring for two days nonstop, so it's great. well, maybe maybe this maybe this dreary seasonal uh, sort of weather pattern for me sums up West Ham in our last few matches here. Uh, and what I basically mean by that is it's been a lot of depressing play, maybe depressing depressing results and not as much depressing play. But we might as well jump into the most recent match, and that is Sheffield's visit to West Ham in the Tevez Derby, as uh, Jeremiah so aptly named it uh, online. Um, kind of a bit of a benign affair here there wasn't much to really get excited about in this game what were your general thoughts going into this match maybe we can start with uh how you thought the, the match would go based off of the formation and not the formation of the team selection that pellegrini put forward i was a bit surprised with some of the team selection but obviously we don't know the whole ins and outs of things i think uh dropping fredericks uh was strange given that I, well, I was hoping that we were going to be in the attack uh, this this match and he offers so much he's been playing well as well there's been a lot mm-hmm. going uh, coming from him on that right hand side um, and as I say um, Yarmolenko didn't start either so it was strange strange oh no he did start this yeah, one Yarmolenko was back for this when it was uh, Snodgrass that drew in the middle that's it. Sorry, no, neither Lanzini or Fornell started, and that was like one of the. You, we had a big discussion about which one of them starts, and we were all, yeah, blindsided by that one. It's, uh, yeah, it's. Um, he's trying to change things up. I can't really uh, blame him for that because over the last well, the start of the season, we we. We had some tough games then, but then we, we came into it a bit and we looked like we were doing well, and then it's kind of faltered. So I understand the desire to change, 
I mean, the Snodgrass one seemed to work because he got the goal. But uh, we really didn't look like we had much um, game plan for how we were going to break down a side. The goal we scored on the counter-attack, but uh, hopefully we're not set up to play on the counter-attack against Sheffield United at home. Yeah, I, I doubt that that was the the setup game plan going into it, but thank the Lord it kind of fell that way because there was nothing West Ham could really do to break down the Sheffield defense. So, you know, they, they, they do play five at the back, three at the back, whatever you want to call it. But um, your original point about dropping Fredericks is interesting because I don't think Zabaleta played poorly in this match. He doesn't get up the pitch as much as or as quickly as Fredericks does. He tends to be up there quite a bit, and Yarmolenko is great with the ball at his feet, so you tend to see more out of uh, Zabaleta, but uh, just because he, Yarmolenko brings him into play more. But really interesting to see the entire right side of the of the back four was replaced because Ogbonna was dropped for Balbuena as well, and you could arguably uh, say that Ogbonna was outplaying Diop for the start of the season because he had been in the, the only... He was the only player who didn't play in the... Uh, lost to Manchester City to start the season that was still there. So, interesting to say the least. Um, I, for me, the only thing I think of when I see this now is Balbuena played good, Diop played good, we know Ogbonna's played good. Sounds like we have three centre-backs that are pretty good. Are we going to play three yeah. centre-backs? I don't think so, but I would I would almost love to see the the attempt to, to go three at the back with some higher attacking wing-backs, but I'll hold that off for another time. Uh, Snodgrass drawing in. Question for you: Do you think his start was by design, or do you think that was designed to be Wilshire's start, but he pulled up with another injury in training? Potentially, I mean, Snowgrass is. Uh, I think his consistency has really uh, taken some fans by surprise, given the given the first sort of half a season he had with us after we tried to sign him as a pilot replacement, which was unfair on him um, he's really come into his own I, he seems to be happy at the club and really pushing for uh, pushing for different positions he's not someone that's just going to be stuck in a single place and only useful in that area um, but yeah maybe it was meant to be for Wilshire but I'm, st- I'm still surprised that if Wilshire if it wasn't Wilshire was available he didn't go with Lanzini or Fornaus you may really be trying to send a, a message to them saying you really have to play because they haven't been performing recently. Um, but maybe it was a simple case of he's looking to rest people to try and keep their fitness up over hard parts of the season. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, would, I wouldn't have been surprised to see. I would have been less surprised to see Wilshire in that position than I was to see Snodgrass. Completely agree. Um, follow up. Uh, do you think Sawgrass keeps his position for Newcastle this weekend? Uh, I think it's hard to drop him. Uh, you probably start someone in uh, attacking mid, and they grab a goal. I mean, you could argue he could have got a second one from Four Nows' ball across uh, where he's in the post. But uh, he's. It, it's hard to drop someone who's performing. Maybe we look at uh, taking out. Um, uh, someone like Noble and putting La- uh, Lanzini or Fornals in there instead, but I think it's hard to drop someone who you start out of the out of the blue and um, uh, and he scores. So yeah, uh, I would be hard pressed to do so. 
Yeah, I, I can't think of a reason why you would drop him because you rewarded him for being a good trainer. and basically, You rewarded him basically for not being Lanzini or Fornals, and then he shows up and gives his all on the pitch. His deliveries were, were good, barring his first one from the corner, first corner kick that he had was pretty low and out front. But other than that, his deliveries were good from set pieces. He was running his tail off in this match nonstop, which is characteristic of him anyways. Um, and he nabs the goal with a pretty calm finish on a, on a ball where you don't necessarily expect Pablo Fornal, or sorry, you don't really expect Robert Snodgrass to be the guy steaming up the middle of the pitch, you know, with the striker holding off two players, you know, your, your right winger playing a perfect through ball. You don't expect Snodgrass to be the guy on the end of that. You know, he's the bulldog who gets in physical battles and comes out with the ball or dips something over the top, but he was striding down the middle like a stallion. And, and, you know, I don't know, how you could drop him and like you said he could he should have had another really um and he should have been left on in my opinion later in that match but that's for another another time i suppose um there were three substitutions made in this match the first one uh was manuel lanzini coming on for uh felipe anderson in the 66th minute the second one was for on for noble in the 78th minute and the third one was a yeti coming on for snodgrass in the 86th minute I just want to know your thoughts on how substitutions are being used by Pellegrini and do you agree with these three subs made and do you agree with the time uh, that's being associated with these players making an impact? Uh, so the first one, you always said we're about 60 odd minutes. I think that's a, a fair a fair one, but I don't know if it's Anderson that I would manage. Maybe, again, we don't know all the reasons for these kind of things. I think uh, famously there was a story where uh, Arsene Wenger was kept substituting Dennis Bergkamp and he asked why, he got really annoyed and it was said like and Wenger turned around and said it's nothing to do with the performance it's to do with the fact that your like your distance covered per like minute or whatever drops off massively after this area so I try and replace you and maybe we there's something in the stats or something in the Felipe Anderson's um, rate of um, work or um his abilities, passing stats that drops off after that point, I don't know, because he consistently doesn't see through to the end of a match, and I wonder if there's, or maybe he's sort of hoping there's going to be a more open game where he can play him in for 90 minutes, and he can exploit that space, because against Sheffield United, obviously, they're closing down, there's not really much space for Felipe Anderson to run into, and that's when he's most dangerous. Um, so potentially... Uh, that could be a decent one. I'd, I'd still be tempted to leave him on because of his, even just his ball striking ability is good enough to a challenge an opposition. And because he's, well, he's by far the quickest of our uh, forward players, so he adds that that dynamic to it. Um, the one I'm probably most confused about is Atleti coming on that late. Uh, I always I always find it really hard for or I find it hard to justify throwing on a striker that late because it's a real kind of luck move uh, it's, like, it's basically hoping something just falls to them, they haven't got any time to work for anything, they haven't got any time to play themselves into a game, you're just hoping the ball falls to them and their finishing is more in tune with than a player that's been playing for 85 minutes so it, it, it smacks a bit of desperation at that point Yeah, I completely agree with you and, and like you had said, I understand um, I, or I, I'm sympathetic to the idea that there's something either statistical or uh, medical that is making the substitutions of Anderson come into play. I hate that we don't have a player 
in my opinion, that can come in and replace Anderson as a wide player. Manuel Lanzini can't do it. Fornals can't do it from what we've seen this season. Both of them have struggled not being in the center of the pitch. Um, people would cry out for Mazuaku to come on. I He's... He's never been a left winger or a left midfielder in his career. I'm 99% sure of that. So p- him saying on Instagram one time, well, I'm not a defender, doesn't say doesn't prove to me that he is uh, an attacker then. So I, I don't know. That That's a mess I don't want to really open up right now. But we don't have a player who can replace Anderson on, on the wide, you know, the wide left side of the pitch. So it's difficult to take him off. Um, Fornell is coming on. I understand you want to get more attacking. And to me, 78th minute, you're taking off your, your quote-unquote box-to-box midfielder, Mark Noble, to go at the game and try and get this win back after they had just tied it in the 69th minute. That makes sense to me. With you, I'm totally 100% with you on this. A jetty coming on in the 86th minute, like you're, we're, we're not even giving the striker a chance to play with the first team or to make an impact in the game. That's four minutes plus stoppage time to do something in a game with increasingly or with insane amounts of pressure on it. And that's not fair to him. That's not fair to the team. And it's also not fair to the fans because they're getting tainted on this player whose name we're seeing pop up on the score sheet as a substitute and saying, oh, he's not doing anything. Well, he played for six minutes or seven minutes in this game. How could he do something? Uh, it's frustrating with that one. I, I agree. If you're, if you're going to go for a game, in this, you know, if they scored in the 69th minute and the 70th minute, put a second striker on. Let's go. You know what I mean? Up the ante here. Mm-hmm. We're at home. We're trying to win this game. That's how. That's in my mind what the mentality should be. Um, stats in this one are very lopsided in certain areas. Uh, possession was 61% in favor of West Ham. Uh, I believe. Uh, let me just pull this back up here. Um, the actual stats from the match: West Ham had 545 passes to Sheffield's 357. Their accuracy was at 80 percent. They only had seven fouls opposed to 10. Uh, they were offside both four times each, and West Ham had the corner advantage 10 times to four. All of this amounted in the same amount of shots on target, which was four, and 12 shots in total for West Ham, 10 for Sheffield. Do you can you pinpoint anything when it comes to West Ham's attack not being able to get into the dangerous areas of the pitch? I uh, I think I say I looked at the sort of uh, expected goals uh, stats and the uh, heat map. I think they they tend to sort of really draw out what your the so the essence of where we're going wrong. And although we did, we, apparently we should have. Been scoring twice uh, according to the stats. Um, Sheffield United's one. The big thing that really stood out for me is that although we dominated, say possession, as you say, and we were in there half a lot. If you look at the heat maps of the two, Sheffield United were like, their biggest area is was almost on the edge of their their box. They are they sat right back. They really just tried to absorb our pressure, and we really struggled to get anywhere in there. Um, our heat map kind of fades away for their penalty area, despite our possession and um, number of passes we had. They were they tend to be a bit further out, um, and Ale didn't manage a shot the entire game. So when you're trying to win at home against a team that's been promoted, uh, and your striker who plays 90 minutes doesn't have a shot. It's probably showing you're not using him right. Like I do understand that we. We use him most as a like a link up uh, 
play or just sort of when the balls come into the box he's there to poke it in he's a big guy he's shown as well he's willing to be a bit uh, versatile in the air with some uh, overhead kicks he did in the first few games get the ball in there get them uh, make that change just see what see if something drops I don't know if we really from what I saw we didn't put enough decent balls into the box and put people around Allaire to make him dangerous uh, I think if we did that a bit more and then we open up the space to do some passes I think if you compare the passes stats compared that to when even when like Bilic started to really change our style of football we're passing a lot more we're making a lot more sensible decisions with the ball we're keeping that we're keeping the pressure on them but sometimes you need to put a ball into the box and then make sure you have people around it to make it a dangerous cross um, it it might seem a bit simplistic but it gets goals and if you're adding in a, a dimension of attack that's never a bad thing do you think we're more attacked do you think we're a more attacking team than we were last season or under Pellegrini than we were with Slavin Bilic? Uh, I think Bilic was a remedy for the moments we'd had previously and he played decent football. Uh, I think Bilic was, a, was more attacking minded. Um, I, think, I think Pellegrini has a better whole game plan and obviously when Bilic came in, we had Payet, and every match at the home uh, Upton Park was was special. As people had a reason to really push the home team or West Ham forward. So I think it's really, really hard to compare. But I do think I think Bilic was a more attacking-minded uh, player uh, manager, and yeah, I think at times. We've struggled, but then he struggled at uh, the uh, Olympic Stadium as well. So I think I do think a lot of the ability's success was down to the belief from the team that we needed to make that last season special. And the the home fans, there was something massive around the club that year. I think uh, anyone that was was there at any point would um, really tell you that that was that was special. Yeah, I, it's hard to also tell if it was performance or if it was circumstance when it comes to what made that season and you know that performance from Bilic really impactful uh, it's, it's, you, you almost can't separate the two uh, question for you now uh, in, in, in well not now I've been asking questions this whole time but uh, in the most recent press conference Pellegrini had he confirmed that both uh, Mikel Antonio and, Pelle- and uh, Fabianski are rehabbing their injuries but Mikel Antonio is in contention to play coming out of the international break, which is after starts after this uh, match against Newcastle. Would you start him, or would you bring him off the bench if he's at full fitness? I would be very careful with him. <laughs> he's. Uh, I think obviously we we've had discussions in the past about how he best he can best be used. I think he's explosive. I think he's dynamic. He's got some wonderful attributes in terms of um, his aerial ability and his desire just to keep on running for lost causes. But because of that, he's, he does endanger himself in terms of like that hamstring injuries, just muscle injuries, where he pushes himself and pushes himself and pushes himself. I don't think we need to rush him back. We have. We do have people in those positions where he can be an impact. 
I would play him off the bench if not give him some time in the under 23s just to work him work his fitness out because it's it's important that we if he comes back he's at full fitness because if Michael Antonio is playing with an inhibitor in his head like it, that he's not giving that extra 5-10% at the top then he's not I don't think he's a good enough footballer to be doing that like if someone said oh, do you want to play uh, Messi uh, he's not quite fit I said yeah I don't care like Messi <laughs> he's a game changer is like he could walk around the centre circle and he could still change games Mikel Antonio isn't technically his, his abilities as a footballer aren't his technical stuff it's the physical attributes that he brings to the game his desire his his tenacity of really harrying those defenders that that's where he adds it so we need him at full fitness or it's not really worth playing him I completely agree with that as well and, and Yarmolenko's also made this decision a lot easier because he's been arguably West Ham's best player in Antonio's absence which I don't know people myself included were up in the air on Yarmolenko you know we spent almost 20 million on him two seasons ago and he got injured right away he started to look good but he also looks like he's a bit of a luxury player because he's slower on the ball doesn't track back as far but throw that all out the window when he shows up and when he's playing for West Ham, he, he's he's showing that he can be a game changer. But a really good point by you there, basically that where other players can rely on intangibles to be a game changer, like like you said, Messi is the ultimate example of that. His intelligence will take over a match. Mikel Antonio's the biggest game changer when it comes to him being stronger and faster than everybody else on the pitch. And you need mm-hmm. to have that physica- physicality be in you know, be bubble wrapped almost until he's able to fully use it again. But I do think that some minutes off the bench would be probably ideal for him. But again, that's working off of the assumption that he's not in a position to tear a hamstring again, although we never know if that's going to happen or not. Uh, a, a couple more uh, scattered questions here. Uh, some some people are chatting on Twitter. Uh, the the source football.insider is reporting that West Ham are planning to sign two new players in the January window the center forward and a defender the main two priorities and i know that uh ex west ham you ex whu employee uh had said on the west ham way podcast the same thing and he specified a uh right back is what they were looking to sign in january striker and a right back is that where you would spend money on in uh in january i'm not really sure right back necessary um uh, I think, and like I say, I think of, I still think our left back is one of our most inconsistent positions because whoever we pick is, it just seems to blow hot and cold. Masawaku, it, I, Masawaku is probably the most frustrating player on the West Ham squad for that because he he gives you a nine out of ten performance and you wonder like you go oh yeah so even if he doesn't play quite as well as this like we're still going to have a decent left back. But then his opposite is like a four out of ten, a like three out of ten, and you suddenly uh, and it, you can't have that in a defender. Cresswell gives you a bit more consistency defensively, I suppose. He still has the ability to hit some crazy goals, as we've seen throughout his career. Um, maybe a more solid defensive left back um, would be an addition to the squad. Uh, with some, with one, I, I don't think both of the uh, aforementioned left backs would stay if we did that. But I, I think if we actually got a left back in, that would be pretty good. Centre forward, I don't know. 
we haven't seen uh, unless we're basically saying Atleti isn't what we wanted and he's not good enough to be our backup striker maybe uh, maybe yeah I I don't think we've really given him a chance to do anything but again we don't see him in training so there's some stuff there but if we get someone who's pacey someone whose ideal game plan is to sit on that last defender and really run him behind um, someone with the kind of qualities that you know Jamie Vardy has uh, that speed just to get in desire to run at defenders and really just harry them there and that's I mean that would that would both complement and give us or complement Alain's abilities as a hold up player and centre forward and give us the ability to just to change things up straight off if like if you don't want to go with that target man you can go with a, a counter attacking ball over the top all the time um, but it would have to be someone who added something different I, do, I wouldn't want to see like I, I think in the last week Perez scored a goal uh, his club. it was a good goal but everyone's going, oh, we didn't give him a chance. I think we did. I just don't think he. I don't think he he uh, stands up in the Premier League. I I don't think he's he's best here, and he didn't add anything too different. So if we had someone with pace, um, yeah, I'd go for that. I get to see it going well. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a good point. As far as center forwards concerned, we only technically have two, so I understand getting a third one in. Um, the way that. Uh, Jordan Hugel is banging in goals in the championship would make, if he wasn't attached to this team, would make someone say, oh, that Hugel kid looks pretty good in QPR right now. Like, I wonder how much he would cost. I don't think that'll happen. I don't know why. Um, Pellegrini seems to be, once he makes up his mind on a player, doesn't seem to change it all that much. So apparently he didn't like what he saw from him, but uh, West Ham could do worse than, than taking back Hugel for free. Um, and I'm sure people would probably prefer if they took Hugel back and then spent that money they were going to spend on a striker on a box-to-box central midfielder. So, you know, there's always two sides to everything. A player to keep a keep an eye on. West Ham were linked with him at the end of the window for a striker before a Yeti came in, uh, and it was uh, Bertrand Traore from uh, Lyon in Ligon. Uh, 24-year-old striker. He's only got two assists this season. He's played in nine matches. Uh, but apparently he's played in the Champions League as well. But apparently he is an absolute burner when it comes to uh, it comes to pace, and and that's exactly what you know we had talked about with or what you had talked about with bringing in a player who brings a different dimension to the team. So that could be an interesting pickup there if they go back to that name. Um, as far as a right back concerned, if that's what they're going to go for, um, to me that says if you're buying in January, you're not going to try to be buying a star. So that proves to me that um, Ryan Fredericks is they're committed to him going forward. It also pretty much closes the door that we already knew was closed on Zabaleta. And it also says to me that Ben Johnson's likely going to be going on loan either in January or the start of next season if they're already looking to buy another player in that position. Um, all of which I can see the long-term success plan there, so I'm okay with that. Look at Grady Diangana. He's succeeding at West Brom right now. So I think that you know players like Diangana are doing wonders for um, championship teams to look at West Ham and say, oh, maybe there are some you know some difference makers in that academy, and they can invest time in these players that benefits both sides. So you never know there. Um, another question for you, my good friend Scott. Uh, we see. Grady D and Ghana lighting up the uh, the championship with West Brom, as I just mentioned. Do you think it's too 
soon to call him back in January if the option's presented to the team. What are the pros and cons to that, do you think? Uh, well, I mean, pros of it are we add someone who's got a bit of pace, someone who's willing to run at the defender. I mean, obviously, uh, I think he, from memory, he is stronger on his left foot, but he plays on the right wing a bit. So he, he's fairly similar to Yarmolenko in that regard. But he obviously is a bit smaller, uh, pacier, would add a slightly different dynamic. I I was, I mean, at the start of the season, I will put my hands up and say that I wanted him to stay. I thought he added something in that area. We, I thought we could have played him in on the right wing uh, every now and again to keep his gameplay. But given the kind of start he's had, I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch him. I would keep him there, keep him where he's happy, uh, let him play a full season, really get that confidence going, and that way we get hopefully at the end of the season we get a player back that's had that experience. Had, I mean, the championship you play a lot of goal, uh, get a lot of games. Sorry, he has a chance to get a lot of goals uh, and really get in and feel that momentum. Because if we keep chopping and changing, they don't get used to it. It's, it's the same reason that I think some managers don't like bringing players up from a youth season because you, you don't get that uh, you don't get that continuity. You don't get the idea of what it means to commit for a whole season to a, a cause and really fight for something. Yeah, and minutes minutes are not guaranteed anywhere, but you have to figure that West Ham are going to offer a lot less minutes than they are uh, compared to West Brom. So, like you said, more games, more opportunities to score, more chances for him to grow his, not his ego, but grow his confidence in himself and basically up the quality of his play by playing more frequently. So I, I'm with you on that one. Again, as soon as Antonio went down injured, the pros looked uh, like they, sh- you know, everyone would, would teleport to January to get him back. But if Antonio's back, Yarmolenko is still there, Snodgrass is still with the team. Those are all players who can succeed on the right-hand side of the pitch. So I have no problem with, with the Ngana uh, with the Ingana staying down there. I know people want him back now, but think about how much better he'll be after a full season down there. Even if he struggles, that's also a positive too. Struggling, you know, and, and trying to f- get back on track, figure out what works, simplify your game. That's positive, uh, a positive mentality to have, especially when you don't have the bright lights of the Premier League on you and also the, the, you know, the fortunes of a team that are destined for, quote-unquote, destined for the top six this season, uh, like West Ham were said to be. You don't have that kind of pressure mounting on you. You can just break things down, yeah. simplify, and get that positive experience of rebuilding your game up. I, I think that could be uh, really telling when it comes to his development. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Scott, uh, also, but I'll, I'll put this in right here. I'll, I'll timestamp it at 29 minutes and 30, sorry, 40 seconds. Uh, Jeremiah may chime in here with a, a little audio piece on his views on Dean Ghana and the pros and cons of that. So if that happens, it happens right now. Okay, so if he, if he, Jeremiah, thank you for your contributions. If not, uh, we understand. Uh, you know, real life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, my last uh, sort of random question to you revolves around not West Ham, uh, but maybe in a way I can do my best to. to link the two together uh granite jacka has received a i sort of has sent out a message to the arsenal fans basically explaining what happened when he walked off the pitch cupping his ear to the fans booing him uh i think he took off his shirt and threw it on the ground and stormed down the tunnel after a substitution um 
he was recently named Arsenal's captain, and then this happens, and you know there's been talks of other Arsenal captains sort of blowing up uh, once they get named captain. So I want to ask you this: Do you think West Ham are um, blessed in a sense to have Mark Noble as the no questions asked captain for the club for such a long time as he has been? Uh, and do you think that there could be some you know turmoil once he leaves his position? I think that any club would be better off having someone who's a one club man, someone who sits around, who's just sat around in there the entire time. I mean, he's been a permanent fixture in so like for so long at the club, and it, it really does give that sense of continuity. I think, obviously, in a modern game where your squad's changing quite a lot, especially star players, that your captain really has to want to be at the club I think as as a most as a most important characteristic you have probably have two things you have like what desire to be at the club and are they in the first 11 uh, obviously the second question has been a matter of opinion for a while at uh, regarding Mark Noble people have said he's not in there he's not in our strongest side but he's definitely He's definitely one for keeping us all in check. He does add that that vein of continuity throughout everything. Um, I think we've seen in the past couple of years some clubs go for a club captain and a like an on pitch captain and this kind of thing where they've tried to sort of balance the two things. And it's really difficult with the turnover. I think this is probably just starting to show its head as a real problem for some clubs that have had the continuity in the past, like Arsenal and Man United. Uh, although they've been big clubs and since the Premier League era began, they've had continuity in the first sort of 10, 15 years of it. And then it's really started to bubble over as an issue. They don't have those club legends that are able to lead the, lead the, the side out of any trouble and they don't have the people you just you know are going to be there next year like do I think or how certain am I that Granite Xhaka is going to be an Arsenal player next year oh, as certain as anyone can be I don't think he's got any special attachment to the club um, like, there's no extra pull for him to stay so yeah I think I think Mark Noble as our captain is just we know he's there how certain am I, am I that West West Ham and Mark Noble um, aren't going to like have a split over the next year? Yeah, 100%. Like, even if he doesn't play, he's going to be a coach. And even if he doesn't coach, he's going to be a fan. Uh, there's, there's going to be no split between that. Okay, whatever happens, Mark Noble is going to be associated with the club next year and the year after that. And I can't see it stopping. And that continuity and that certainty really helps... But it helps the fans get behind him, and I'm sure it helps the players in the dressing room. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what I was going to add there, but I think you summed that up pretty well. I, you know, another intangible that that Mark Noble offers to West Ham that doesn't show up on the score sheet—that's for sure. Uh, for me, uh, on Saturday, I get to watch Newcastle face off at 11 a.m., which is a nice little shift from the seven o'clock starts in the morning for me. What, what is this? Uh, this would be Saturday evening for you then. So right, it's, oh, it's, a three, it's a three o'clock kickoff, isn't it? It's a normal three o'clock kickoff. This one, uh, yeah, that's two o'clock in the morning. Oh, so safe to say you're going to be watching the replay on this one? 
Yeah, I, I, two o'clock in the morning is it's reserved for the big matches because uh, you don't know that it's the worst time to watch a football match because if you stay up, that's that's a long time to just be waiting around for a football match, and if you wake up, that's the middle of the night. It's it's not it's not a good time at all. Uh, any the uh, thank I say I say it's reserved for the big matches. Thankfully, the big matches are moved, so you, uh, the early kickoff is around midnight. And the later kickoffs, like the um, Saturday late kickoffs, are about four in the morning. So that's doable in terms of waking up early. Uh, but yeah, the three o'clock kickoffs are the killer. They really are here in Australia. Are you confident in West Ham to, to show up and actually get a win here? It's another home match for them. Do you think Newcastle offer anything that can, that can really shake this up for them? Uh, I say I wrote an, an article, and I think that I, th- I think that Steve Bruce is. Uh, I say what Newcastle have done this year is actually, for me, it's a borderline unthinkable. Is it's almost made me feel sorry for Steve Bruce. Um, <laughs> we have here a manager with second worst win rate out of any Premier League manager with over two hundred games, and they were putting him in expecting him to do something. Like, I'm sorry, they, if, you, if you're anything but a relegation struggler and you appoint Steve Bruce, what is he going to do? He's got a squad that's not particularly exciting. They've got a couple of young players in the middle that could uh, like, that have the ability to go on in future years. Their striker hasn't really hit the ground running. They've had massive issues behind the scenes. We, if, if we're not looking at this as a must-win match, then there probably isn't a must-win match in, in our calendar. This is a team we can really push. They will come here and defend. They will look to just come away with something. And this is, if we can get a goal early and really, really push push Newcastle, that's that's got to be our only option. Like, we have to pick every attacking option and go with it because this team have lacked any confidence. Every time they're going to go down, they've looked devoid of it. And I, I think they're really there for the taking. Uh, I, I just don't see... Uh, they've obviously got some good players. That Shelby, I don't know if he's back from injury. Um, he's been a bit inconsistent. They've got a couple of players suspended. But they've got some decent players, but they just haven't shown any real link this so far this season. I would, I would hope we're not worried. I think we can show respect, but not worried. Um, yeah, they're playing the five at the back system. They played a 5-4-1 against Wolves where they ended up drawing uh, an 82nd minute. Uh, red card to Sean Longstaff means that the uh, the people in Newcastle won't have to compare the two with him and Declan Rice anymore because uh, much like his first game where he completely contributed to, to Declan Rice getting his goal and then pulled up with an injury, Longstaff won't be playing in this match at all. Um, they're, they're basically going to be set up five at the back, a packed midfield, and they're going to send players like Jolinton and, and Maximin and Almiron to counterattack. Um, Willems is their uh, their left wing back. He's a good addition, I think, to the team this year. And again, Yedlin's a, as a speedster down the right side at the, at the wing back position. So they have the ability to attack with speed if they get the ball, but they're not a team that's built for sustained pressure, like you had mentioned. And especially away from home, they're not going to be looking to come out and take the win away. They're going to be setting up, uh, and with Steve Bruce at the helm as well, you never you never know, but they're, they're going to be set up to, to basically 
not lose the game, which is a defeatist attitude to, to begin with. And West Ham should be all over this match. For me, I'll ask, I'll ask you your opinion afterwards on what the game plan should be for the Hammers. But for me, this should be a, a, you know an Andy Carroll game for West Ham. Get the ball in the air. You're going to have crosses coming in from Fredericks if he plays, uh, Cresswell, Snodgrass, Yarmolenko, Felipe Anderson. Everybody put the ball over the, over the top and let Allaire bang the ball in and send those attacking midfielders in to support him from behind. I want this to be an old-school football game where it's, where it's crosses. It's looping crosses coming in for a target man. That overwhelms players over time, and Allaire is so strong and so good in the air that I don't know why we're trying to use our six foot four striker or whatever he is to play the ball with his feet even though he's great with that let that be a positive bonus let's work with what he's great at which is finishing and getting the ball in physical areas and winning those one-on-one battles let's let's break it down with that how, how do you want to see West Ham play yeah I, I say I, having looked at the Sheffield United match uh, having gone through it the fact that he didn't have shots is criminal. Uh, I know he doesn't take too many shots. We looked at this when we signed him in pre-season. He doesn't take as many shots as someone like Arnautovic. He does tend to look to lay the ball off first. But when he's in the box, he does. He has good finishing. He does try and get his shots away. So the only way to do that is get the ball in there. And I would, obviously, Pellegrini will always push for a passing game, so I don't expect to see us. Um, Go four four two and uh, bomb the um, <laughs> uh, the opposition box too often, but I, I still think we need occasionally, uh, even if it is a Yarmolenko Anderson just coming back and just delivering a, like a whipped ball in just for someone to attack, and then getting those midfielders in and around that area, one like uh, to deal with anything that doesn't make it in there. Or the or say getting our uh, fullbacks around the side and just delivering something for them to attack, because we we seem to play a lot. We we try to play too much of our football in front of Sheffield United, and I don't think if we do that against Newcastle, we're going to come up like with the same issues. We're going to be dealing with, as you say, a team that wants to play defensively, someone that's going to come up and park the bus, and we're going to see ourselves frustrated and. Obviously, with Roberto in goal rather than Fabianski, we're going to leak a few more goals. Uh, I think that's just the fact of the matter at the moment. And even if, let's say, Roberto made a great save uh, early on last match, probably should have saved the one that went in. But we have to take that. He's our reserve goalkeeper, and we have to. We, I think we really need to be looking at scoring twice to guarantee a win at the moment. Are you confident that the, that a win's going to come against uh, Newcastle here? Uh, I mean, on paper, yes. On form, I'm a bit nervous. I think that's fair. I, I'm I'm confident. I I'm not going to give it away, but I predicted a lopsided win for West Ham in this one. Uh, no clean sheet though, um, because what the heck? There's no consequences here. Um, all right. So how we usually close out these uh, episodes of our podcast is going through. Um, go through some hammers polls questions and we'll vote on it and, and give the updates there uh we'll start with this one scott you can go first for these questions who starts for you against newcastle ogbana or balbuena uh i think the best person to ask this to would be diop uh my if i was manager i would turn to diop and say who do you prefer playing with uh because diop's the name on the team sheet He's the one that walks in without anyone questioning it. Who do you prefer playing with? 
that's who I would pick because I don't. I think they. I think Balbuena's organisation is better. I think Obama has. Um, is it maybe got a bit more in the challenge? Although he does, I, I always worry about him giving away a penalty or something of set pieces. Um, I, I think they have uh, qualities. I would ask Diop. That would, if I was manager, that would be my my choice. That's a that's a great answer. I didn't think of that. I picked Balbuena because well, Ogbonna didn't do anything to be dropped. Balbuena came in and played really well, um, so he hasn't done anything to be dropped. So I don't know. Um, I just clicked on Balbuena here to get a result as well. Ogbonna has 55%, Balbuena 45. Uh, on to the next one here. Uh, all right, Anthony Scully is uh, one of our youth players, and he's tearing it up right now at the under-23 level. His stats for the year are uh, eight games played, nine goals scored, assists are at four. Uh, do you think the 20-year-old is ready for a team uh, first-team bench spot with West Ham right now? Yeah, I, I always think that these youth players need to be integrated slowly. I would be there, there are very few that sort of just go, yep, we throw you in and you hit the ground running. Especially here, we've tried a few different players in sort of, uh, what is it? It's like a box-to-box attacking midfielder kind of thing. He's he's getting goals. He, he's wow. actually, he's a converted winger to striker now. Oh, he's striker now. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, then, uh, I mean... If he's scoring goals, I would I would be happy to throw him on the bench. I, I again the same thing I said with Dean Garner. I would be very happy to leave him where he is. He's happy. He's scoring. He's assisting. He's just getting in amongst it right now. That for me is really important to, for a youngsters' confidence and their development. But yeah, if we're struggling for goals, someone who's scoring, who's part of our club, can't be ignored for very long. You know what? This kind of highlights how I think the FA Cup should be handled by West Ham. Start your starting team. If everyone's fit, start your Premier League team and fill the bench with players like Scully and Holland. And then when West Ham goes up and it's in the second half, if they go up and it's in the second half, make a double sub. Holland and Scully, come on. There you go. Now you have Felipe Anderson off and you have Sebastian Allaire off, two of your most prized possessions when it comes to attacking players. And you can sort of change the game script there, slow it down, get these players some minutes. As, as for right now, I don't think there's any reason to have him on the bench because if he's not going to play, you don't want him on the bench. And if he's played one or two days prior for the under-23s, he's probably not going to play in this match. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation to either quote-unquote waste a spot for him. I would rather we just use a Yeti or a Jetty off the bench as a striker option. Um, <laughs> that's an always another thing. Uh, 67% of people say yes to this one, so what the hell do I know? Um Scott, where do you point the finger to blame West Ham's mini slump in their recent results? The coaching, the manager, the players, or all of the above? Uh, I say I'm not sure with coaching. I think coaching is kind of like something builds through time. I think the players can you can look at the players and go, it's been sloppy at times. There's been we've had opportunities to deal with things and we haven't. Um, the manager does have to take some blame for maybe some questionable substitutions at times when we could have been pushing up and through uh, into matches and we kind of stuttered. But yeah, I think I think I, I still think that when players aren't or when the team isn't playing well, the first place you have to look at players. And 
I said, obviously the manager gets changed the most because that's the easiest one to change. It's easier to change one manager than 11 players. But yeah, I think the players have to take responsibility for it. And especially because we've been, we've been one nil up in the last two home matches and we've come away with one point. And I think that's, that's a real player issue because that's a sign that things were going all right. We had the ingredients there for a win and it's just fallen apart. Completely agree. I voted for the players on this one as well. Um, the, the, the way the voting breaks down, coaching 3%, manager 19%, players 25 and all of the above with a whopping 53%, which is fair. Um, you could even say that you know the, the losing the game from a winning position or, or dropping points from a winning position could come down to mental toughness, which is maybe a coaching aspect as well. Uh, we'll end with this with this question here. Uh, Tony Cotty recently is quoted as saying that Lanzini is West Ham's best player. Do you agree with this, yes or no? Uh, hmm. There's no context of attacking mentality here. It's just best player. I think. Uh, I think in terms of like, if you were after someone who has got that, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose he would be a tech, like quote unquote best player. He has the ability to strike a dead ball. He's great dribbling. He can use both feet in a pinch. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.